Thank you for joining us for this week's message from Highland Park Baptist Church. The preaching and teaching ministry of Highland Park is led by our pastor, Dr. Jeremy Wallace. Our desire is to help you grow in your faith so that you can better glorify God, make disciples, and love others. To learn more, visit us at hpbc.church. Now, here's this week's message. While they are doing that, I want to introduce our our speaker. He's not preaching yet, but um, he will in a minute. We've got to interrogate him a little bit first. Um, but we are blessed this morning to have Adam Spurlock with us. He is the pastor. One of them. He is the pastor of Restoration Community Church. Um, his, he's here with his family, his wife Katie, and three kids. Thank you all so much for being here. Um, in my time here at the church, he has been a huge encouragement to me. Um, we meet, I won't say every week, but every couple of weeks, two, three weeks, we'll meet at Chick-fil-A for a chicken biscuit and because coffee, and it's, it's a Baptist thing to do. Um, and we actually meet with Tommy, the pastor of Northwoods. We all get together, and so uh, he's been a huge encouragement. He's going to be bringing the word for us here in just a few moments, but Adam, welcome. We're Thank glad you you're here. Thank you for having me. I'm humbled to be here, and I'm, I'm grateful to be here. Funny story. <laughs> I, I think this is hilarious. About a few weeks ago, somebody came up to me and said, I'm really glad you're our pastor, but I was hoping we'd get Adam Spurlock. <laughs> so you're lucky oh, to be boy. here today. I almost canceled you. No, I'm just um, you're very gracious. No, but you have a, you have a wonderful testimony in the community. Um, what led you to start Restoration? Yeah, so good question. When, when I was 10, I gave my life to the Lord over at Remount Baptist Church. And I remember, I remember, I know I was uh, saved at that time. I was enjoying the Holy Spirit. And from 10 to 33, I just served the local church, much, much like you guys. And I got a real job, you know, and I had a real living. And um, I was serving with the youth ministry for several, several years. And uh, around 2009, I started getting a, um, an opportunity to preach, which is crazy if you think about who I am. But anyway, God would just give me opportunities to, to preach. And then I started feeling this call to ministry, like this tug on my heart. Um, and I just thought I'd be a youth pastor, or I thought I'd be like Campus Crusade for Christ, or an associate. Uh, if you're hiring, let me know. Uh, and I just thought I'd be like a, a number two. I never in my wildest dreams imagined or thought about planning a church. And uh, I was coaching T-ball, my son was five years old at the time, over on Railroad Avenue, you know, the complex there in Hanahan. And I'm just coaching, I'm coaching on the ball field. And it was just one of those surreal moments, you know. And I'm looking around the ball field, I'm looking around all the people. And I'm just overcome with, like, uh, compassion and a reality of the brokenness in our community and the lostness in our community. Uh, and I remember, again, this was six years ago or so, I remember saying to God, because I'm wrestling with the tug to ministry, uh, I was like, God, you know, you, you ought to start a new work here in, in, in Hanahan. There's not enough churches for the people that are coming to Hanahan. By the way, what do you want me to do? And, and really, again, had no idea I would ever plant restoration. Then about a couple months later, I heard a testimony of another church planner at Northwood Baptist. And it was like he was just there to talk to Katie and I. It was just one of those moments where God says, hey, hey, stupid, uh, here's what I want you to do. Uh, and so that's that birth restoration community church. What's the vision you have for restoration? Yeah, so our mission is to make and equip disciples, right, which comes straight out of Scripture, nothing, nothing original there. But what I envision our church at restoration, what I would love for every church in the area and in this nation to, to be would be like a mission center on Sundays, right? So we, we gather, we worship our God, 
and then we deploy on mission with the hope of the gospel in our back pockets. I mean, if, if we were to realize the power that we carry with us as believers, and so for us to make and equip disciples, um, it's not about a band, it's not about a preacher, it's not about a building, it's about our people being on mission to reach those far from God but close to him. You said something interesting in, in your answer to the initial question. You said there's not enough churches to yeah. reach everyone coming to Hanahan. So you and I have talked about a lot about churches working together. Yeah. Why do you think that's important for churches to work together? Um, I think it's important for two reasons for churches to work together. One, because the harvest is too plentiful, right, and, and, the, and the workers are few. I think if I'm just being very, very honest, right, uh, I'm a prideful man. I battle pride all the time. And for me not to work with another church, for me to kind of get in my own little zone, I tend to fall into let's build my kingdom over at Restoration. Uh, whereas if I'm working with you and I'm working with some other guys, they remind me this isn't about restoration. This is about God's kingdom, and he's chosen to use us in his sovereignty, which I can never explain or understand why, but I'm grateful that he has. And that's a great reminder for us, right? It's not about Highland Park. It's not about building our kingdom. It's about advancing the gospel, building God's kingdom. And we can do that more effectively working with other churches such as restoration. So we talk about churches working together. How can churches practically do that? Because it's easy to sit down at Chick-fil-A and say, hey, we should work together. Right. How do we actually do that? Yeah, I'll talk about that a little bit more in my message okay. a little bit, so I don't want to give it all away now. Uh, I'm putting you to sleep too soon. But uh, I, I think one of the ways that we can work together, and, and I know this sounds silly and it sounds like a Baptist preacher answer, but if we could pray for each other and root for each other, you know, like, like if we could change our mindset and, and just celebrate when, when God is blessing Highland Park Baptist, and we can celebrate even if God's blessing another gospel-centered church that doesn't have Baptist after their name. You know what I mean? Like if we could, if we could yeah. change that mentality. At the same time, can we do events together? We can do events together. I think that would be great. Um, could we, can we not compete with each other? I think that's a start, but I truly believe practically how do we work together? It's you guys being on mission in the same Jerusalem, the same area that we're on mission, and we're reaching the lost people for Jesus. I think that's practically how we do that best. And that is the reason why we have a Church of the Week in our bulletin. Um, this isn't just to give you information about another church. Hopefully, as you see the bulletin this week, it will be a reminder for you to pray for what God is doing at Restoration. Again, we want to reach hand to hand for Christ, right? Amen. Amen. We can't do that by ourselves, so let's pray and, and partner with other like-minded churches. Um, what are some of the major needs in the Hanahan North Charleston area? So, so we talk about reaching our community. The, the focus this week is on reaching our Jerusalem, our immediate Hanahan North Charleston area. So as, as you've been here, you've been in the area a long time. What are some of the, the very practical needs that exist? Yeah, I think practically, um, and what I want to encourage you guys to look for in your own communities, your own circle of accountability, your neighborhoods, um, one is the realization that we're all broken. Like we're all broken sinners and we're all in need of the gospel. And that practically uh, affects some of the things that we see. Um, listen, um, our, our culture, even in Hanahan, I don't want to shock you, but our culture is addicted to opiates and, and alcohol. Like it is crazy how many people are addicted. Right here in Hanahan, maybe your next door neighbor addicted to opiates or, or alcohol. The gospel is the answer to that. At the same time, what we see uh, in Hanahan that I see so much is this need of belonging and this need of purpose. Like people are looking to belong and they're looking to, to find purpose in life. The gospel's the answer to, to that. And, and so I, I think those are some of the tangible things. And of course, we all know the home, the foundation of the home is crumbling. The gospel's the answer to, to that as well. Those are the things that I see in Hanahan. So kind of launching off of that, how can churches work together? How can churches 
address those needs, do you think? Yeah, uh, I do think the, the heart and the mindset have to be right. I, th I think we need to, to come in alignment with our mindset and our hearts, um, not to worry about our four walls, and that includes restoration for us, but to really pursue the loss and the broken of our community, to be on mission, not just be busy with, with life. Does that make sense yeah, at yeah. all? Um, what do churches and kind of a subcategory Christians need to do in order to have a greater impact on our communities? You won't get me in trouble with this question. You know that, right? All right. So, so it, it's a law. It's a big question. What do we need to do to have a greater impact in our community to reach lostness? First and foremost is what we preach um, at Restoration and what Katie and I have to remind each other of because we're introverts and we're busy. Um, we have to look beyond ourselves and actually care about lost people. You know, we actually have to care about them and love them and have the same heart uh, as the Father. Uh, I think when it comes to practically, I do think if you just look around the nation, Churches have to die to preferences. We have to die to the way we always do things. We have to die to preferences for the sake of making a disciple. Like, making a disciple, someone's eternity is so much more important than my favorite whatever. Does that make sense? Yeah. Uh, you're not going to get in trouble. Okay, all right. <laughs> I mean, not here, maybe when you leave. I, I don't know. No. No, I agree 100%. And we've talked about that often, is that God has given us a mission. And this whole month is built around Acts 1.8. That this mission that God has given us is crucial, and we can exist and not accomplish the mission, but ultimately, that's what God's called us to do. And so if we go through our existence as Christians, as a church, and we fail to accomplish the mission, then what have we actually done that Christ has called us to do? Um, anything else that you want us to know about you, your family, restoration, what God's doing, how we... I mean, you mentioned praying for it. How can we pray for you? Yeah. So, so one thing you can pray for us is wisdom, you know, with wisdom as a church. One thing I would also pray that you would, I would ask that you pray for restoration specifically, is that we'd fall in love with Jesus as a church and that we wouldn't just go through the motions and go through religious activity, that we would truly love Jesus. Um, that's one thing at restoration we need to grow in, and I, I covet your prayers on that. Um, well, we're glad that you're here. Let, let's do this. Can we just bow together right now and pray for Adam, his family, and restoration, that God would use them? Let's, let's, let's bow together for a word of prayer. God, we thank you so much for like-minded pastors and like-minded churches who are focused on the gospel, who are focused on people, who are focused on doing what you've actually called us to do in making disciples. Um, God, we, there may be some of us here who are not, don't know Adam, we don't know much about restoration, but God, I pray that you would help us throughout this, not just this next week, but as we move forward as a church, to pray for them, to look for ways to partner with them. Now, there are over 20,000 people in the Hanahan area, and Highland Park cannot reach those people alone. We need other like-minded churches, such as restoration. So God, I pray that you would, um, as Adam mentioned, that you'd help them to fall in love with, with you, um, that they would be passionate about seeking you and as the, out of the overflow of pursuing you, God, that you would help them to experience the grace and the peace and the passion that naturally flows into making disciples and, and equipping people to do the work of the ministry. God, I pray you'd be with Adam and his family, that you would strengthen them, encourage them, um, give them the wisdom that they need as they not only teach truth, but they model truth as well. So that as their church looks to them, and as people in the community look to them, they see someone who is passionate about doing what you have called restoration to do. And God, I pray you'd be with us at Highland Park, that we would pray for them, that we would partner with them, that we would at the same time fall in love with Jesus, that we would be passionate about making disciples and furthering this mission that you have given us. God, I pray that as a result of our churches in this Hanahan area, there'd be more people that worship you, more people that know you, more people that talk about you, more people 
that, are, that, that experience freedom from addiction, more people that find their God-given purpose. God, the gospel is the answer to the needs, and I pray that because of our churches, more people would see the hope that has been provided through the person of Jesus Christ. We love you this morning. We thank you for Adam. We thank you for restoration. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jeremy, man. Thank you. Before Adam comes to preach in just a moment, we've got the guy who's going to do another song for us. And I, I love this song. I love the message of this song. I think it ties in closely with exactly what we're talking about. And so before Adam comes to preach, I just want you to listen. Listen to the words of this song. Be challenged by it. Be encouraged by it. What a great song about a great God. Amen. Great song. Thank you guys for leading us in worship. Hey, um, for those of you that don't know me, my name's Adam, uh, and I have grown up here in Hanahan since I was in, I don't know, four-year-old kindergarten. Went to Holy Spirit, uh, used to be a little kindergarten on Dominion, uh, on Yamens Hall, uh, and then I went to Fishburn Elementary before it was Hanahan Elementary, then I went to Hanahan Middle and Hanahan High, and I just love this city, and I, I tell you all that because I love this church, too. You see, growing up, this church has always been positioned very uniquely in a, in a position of strength when it comes to influence in our community. And, and I love this church. And uh, we at Restoration have been praying for this church for five years. Every, every month, at least once a week, we pray for Highland Park. And when you guys were searching for a pastor and praying for a pastor, we were praying right there with you. And I think God answered those prayers by bringing you guys an amazing pastor who loves you and who loves Jesus and who wants to reach the lost. And I think you guys should praise and thank God for Jeremy because he is an amazing pastor. Listen, uh, I do love this city. I'm burdened for this city. And uh, I remember when I was planning restoration, uh, when we first started this whole thing about six years ago, uh, and by the way, restoration is a little church plant that meets at the elementary school. People would ask me this question like, Adam, 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 why in the world would you plant a church in the United States? And why in the world would you plant a church in South Carolina and even had a, somebody ask me, like, who works for the city, the city of Hanahan doesn't need another church. we got churches everywhere. And I was like, well, well, maybe that's true. But those might be feelings talking and not numbers. See, numbers don't have feelings. Numbers don't lie. Here's the numbers. Um, in fact, George Barna says that in America, there are 195 million people who are not sitting in an evangelical church this morning. 195 million people who need to be reached with the gospel. Uh, in, in fact, um, people said, well, Adam, there's churches on every corner. Did you know that in 1900, Nobody here was born in 1900, alive then, I don't think. 1900, there were 27 churches for every 10,000 people. Think about that for a minute. 50 years later, in 1950, many of you were around 1950. In 1950, there was 17 churches for every 10,000 people in the United States of America. And then just 17 years ago, in the year 2000, there was 11 churches for every 10,000 people. So why do we plant churches in the United States? Because the population is growing, and, and the churches are shrinking and dying. There's a lot of people who need to hear the hope of the gospel. Every man, woman, and child needs an opportunity to hear the gospel and respond to it. So that's why we, we plant churches, and that's why we pray for, for one another. Listen, here's my hope for, for this church Here's my hope for restoration. Here's my hope for every church in Hanahan and North Charleston that preaches the name of Jesus. That we would value lost people. 
that we would value lost people more than we value church activity. That we would value lost people more than we value church attendance and budgets and preferences. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jeremy referenced it. Listen to this. But you, talking to those of us who would raise our hand and say, I am a follower of Christ, I've given my life to the Lord. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you, talking to to me and you who would raise our hand and say, I'm following Christ, I'm a Christian, will be my witnesses, testifying, you're, you're on mission for me, both in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest parts of the earth. Um, for today, for the sake of today's uh, sermon, let's think of Jerusalem as Hanahan. Or, or if you live in Goose Creek, uh, Jerusalem as your Goose Creek or, or North Charleston, you kind of get where I'm going. Jerusalem is our backyard. You with me today? Just, just give me some. Okay, good. Most of you are awake. Still, good. that's great. That's great. Uh, listen, I, I got to tell you this story um, uh, or tell you about this movie. I think the problem a lot with missions and, and engagement of the gospel and evangelizing is we tend to think it's somebody else's job. I mean, we just do. I mean, I grew up in the church. I've been in the church since I was 10 years old. Sunday night, Sunday, Tuesday for visitation, Wednesday night. I've I've done it all. But when it came to evangelism and sharing the gospel, I thought that was the pastor's job. I, I thought that was something we wrote a check to for those guys who go across seas. I didn't know it was my responsibility to reach out to my neighbor who's far from God. But proximity, very close to me. But that's the call. There was this movie, I don't know how many of you saw it, there was this movie back in the late 60s, early 70s called The Gospel, The Gospel Blimp. Anybody ever seen The Gospel Blimp? I didn't think so, I didn't think so. Christians have been putting out good movies for for a very long time. Um, This one falls in that category. And so you can YouTube it, it's actually a real movie. Uh, But here's the premise, I'll give you the short story, uh, and you'll be glad that I did. Um, Here's the short story. Imagine your neighborhood, and there's three or four couples who are Christians, right? And they do Christian things, and they do Christian activities, and they don't do the things you're not supposed to do, and they do things you're supposed to do. And then this family moves into the neighborhood. This family moves into the neighborhood, and they're lost. And, and wouldn't you know it, the lost people do what lost people do, right, right? And so these three or four couples say, hey, how do we tell them about Jesus? How do we get them to stop doing what they shouldn't do and start doing what they should do? You know, and they're, they're like strategizing and saying, how do we engage? How do we share our faith? And one guy says, I got an idea. Let's build a blimp. And and literally the whole premise, it's ridiculous, of the movie is that these three or four couples build this blimp that flies over their neighbor's house and has like John 3.16 on the blimp. And then it flies back over and it says turn or burn, you know, that that kind of deal. Uh, And then the next week they drop tracks down over their neighbor's yard and the dogs are eating the tracks. It's a ridiculous movie. But, But one couple, one couple says, we'll call them the Davis family. The Davis family says, you know what? This isn't working. Um, we're out. And, and so the Davis family leaves the group, and the other people are like, oh, I can't believe y'all are leaving. Oh, y'all just go. How are we going to meet these people for Jesus? Fast forward to the end of the movie. You'll, you'll, be, you'll be thankful that I did that. Fast forward to the end of the movie. The end of the movie is the two or three remaining couples who know Jesus and the lost neighbors. The lost neighbors, are, they're having a cookout, and, and the lost neighbors say, hey, we've given our lives to Jesus. And the two or three couples are like, yes, the blimp worked, the tracks worked, the blimp worked. Like, which first was it? Was it the Turner Burn? Like, like, what was it? And they're like, no, 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 no. No, no, the Davis family. And like, the Davis family? They're like, yeah, the Davis family. When I went to the hospital, she came and visited with me and prayed with me. And and Mr. Davis kind of rallied around my husband and formed a relationship and shared Jesus with them. And they just did life with us. And we decided to give our lives to Christ. And they're just shaking their head because they thought the blimp... Here's the deal. They thought evangelism was some activity. 
They thought evangelism was some big event or something that somebody else was to do. They didn't know that their jobs as followers of Christ were missionaries to a lost and dark world to proclaim the gospel. And I wonder how many of us fall into that same category. How many of us, when we say evangelism or when we think missions locally, how many of us think of it as a program or a class or an event that you can ask people to come to, all of which are great, but it's not the primary responsibility we've been given as believers. You see, we are called to seek and to save that which is lost because that's what Jesus did. He came to seek and to save which is lost. But I think in order to do that, please don't miss me. If you've tuned out and you're counting ceiling tiles, tune back in. We gotta have the heart of our heavenly father. If we're gonna actually care about the lost and reach the lost, we have to have the heart of our heavenly father. And there's a passage in scripture that I wanna go to, Luke chapter 15 today, which truly, truly magnifies the heart of the Father. Before I read, though, let me, let me go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word that is living and breathing and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. And Lord, I just pray that the truths found in, in your word will, will leap off the pages and land on our hearts and that we will receive them and respond. Lord, give us your heart. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Uh, Luke chapter 15 is where we're at. Luke chapter 15. Again, if you're new to this or maybe you're visiting Highland Park for the first time, uh, maybe you're kicking tires of Christianity or window shopping, uh, Luke is a, is, a, is a record of the, the life and the events of Jesus' life, and it's written by a guy who was a doctor, and so he's just writing all this stuff out. And, and he's writing out this scene. He's describing this scene where Jesus is actually going to teach, right? And so he's teaching and Pay attention to the audience. The audience is huge. Here, here it is. Verse 1, chapter 15. Now all the tax collectors and the sinners were coming near him to listen to him. All right, time out, time out. I said this a lot at Restoration, and I'm, I'll say it here because I hope it would be true of you. I would hope that as a Christian, I would live my life in such a way that when I walked into a room, people didn't scatter like cockroaches. You know what I mean? Like, oh, great, he's here again. You know, I would hope that, that my life reflects the character and nature of God and that when I start speaking, that people wouldn't be repelled by that, but they would listen because they know that I truly love them, because they've seen the character and nature of God reflected in me. Let me ask you a question. Is, is that true of you? Is that true of me? I don't, make you, I don't make you think. But nonetheless, Jesus is teaching, and the sinners and tax collectors came up near him. Now listen, the sinners and tax collectors were nothing like Jesus, but they liked Jesus. And then the religious folks show up. At Restoration, we have some religious folks. Y'all got any religious? No, I'm kidding. Don't raise your hand. Don't raise your hand. The, the, the religious folks show up, and look at what they begin to do. Both the Pharisees and the scribes began to grumble. You know who grumbles most in my life? Religious folk. That's a true story. I'm not just being silly. The religious folks in my life are the ones who grumble and complain the most. That probably doesn't happen here, but it happens at other places, I've been told. And here's what they say. Um, this man, they're complaining, this man receives sinners and eats with them. They're thinking, why in the world would Jesus be talking to them, uh, loving on them, going to their house? Why wouldn't he go to our house? We speak his language. 
We've been to the temple. We've been to church every single week for the past year. We've given more money than he even knows about. How come he's talking to them? Because he values the lost. Because he values the lost. And it's like Jesus, of course, he knows their thoughts. and He knows what they're saying. So he tells them this parable. Now listen to this. I'm going to go through three parables that you've probably heard a thousand times in your life. But here's what I want you to see as we go through these three parables. I want you to see the heart of the Father, right, the heart of the Father. Here it is. So Jesus, you know, hearing this, he, he tells them a parable, saying, verse 3, What man among you, if he has a hundred sheep and has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open pasture and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? And as he says this, you can just kind of imagine the men being like, oh, yeah. That's true. If I got 100 sheep and one's lost, well, I, I got to go find it, right? right? And here's what the meaning, here's, here's why he says this. Because when you lose something that's valuable to you, it becomes your focal point. It, it becomes what you go after. It becomes what you pursue. I got a wedding ring on my hand. Um, this one is $7 from a uh, gift shop in Myrtle Beach because I've lost my real one. Um, and I actually lost my real one about seven times, and then the eighth time it was lost forever. It's a true story. But when I would lose my wedding ring, I would lose it sometimes cutting grass. It would just fall off, it would just fall off my, my, my hand. And now I have a house that has lots of stuff in it, like your house has lots of stuff in it. But do you know what I did when I lost my, my real wedding ring, when I, when I lost it? I forgot about everything that was safe and sound. I forgot about everything that was secure, and my lost wedding ring became my focal point because I valued it, I valued that. That's what Jesus is saying is, do we value the lost? Do we value that which God values? Now, pay attention to this, verse five, it gets better. When he has found it, the sheep, the shepherd finds the sheep, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. Verse six, and when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors saying, rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. And as I read this next verse, listen, listen. I want you to compare your heart to God's heart. Your heart to God's heart. Watch this. This is beautiful. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Do you know what gets God excited in heaven? When one person who rejected Christ now receives Christ as Lord and Savior. Did you look at the angels singing? Not when Restoration has 200 people, or Highland Park has 300 people, or Yamas Park has 100 people. It, that doesn't matter to God. It doesn't matter. What gets him excited is when a lost person says yes to Jesus. Is that what we celebrate? Is that what you celebrate? Is that what I celebrate? Or do I celebrate when my kingdom gets a little bigger and a little richer? He tells another parable, again, one you've heard of. He, he addresses the women in the crowd, and he, here's, here's what he says. Again, illustrating the same point. Or what woman, if she has ten silver coins and loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? And again, this may not make a lot of sense in our culture, but back in their culture, if a woman was single, she would have this headdress, and it would have ten coins on it. And these coins was like, a, was like an advertisement to all the, all the single men out there. You know, like, if you married this, this is what you get. And if she was to lose one of those coins, could you imagine her world? Like, it stops. It stops. And she searches that whole house and sweeps the whole house until she finds that coin. She can't go out in public. Why? 
because there's value on what was lost. I want you to keep in mind the Father's heart, the Father's heart. And then look at what she celebrates, verse 9. When she's found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin which I had lost. In the same way, I tell you again, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And then he goes to this last story. And for the sake of time, I'll kind of summarize it, but it's a story you've heard a hundred times in church. You probably heard it preached three or four or five different ways. The story of the prodigal son. You know the story. You got the father, right, who represents God, and you got, I believe, the older brother, you know, who represents the good old religious folk, and then you got the prodigal son, and you got the lost soul. Older brother was lost too, but here's the younger brother. He goes to God, he goes to the father, he says, hey, dad, I want my inheritance now. You know the story, right? In that culture, it would have been the same as saying, listen, dad, I wish you were dead. I'll take my money if if I can. And in the story, the dad gives him the money. He gives him the inheritance, right? And so the younger son takes the money, and he goes out, and you can read it as well as I can. He has a really good time, right? I mean, he's partying, you know, he's, he's having some lady friends over, you know. I mean, he's just doing everything he shouldn't do with the money. And before you know it, the money's all out, and the famine hits. You've read the story. And he finds himself working for a Gentile pig farmer, like just the lowest point a Jewish boy could get. And he finds himself working for a Jewish pig farmer, or a Gentile pig farmer, feeding the pigs. And he says, I wish I could just eat what the pigs are eating. You talk about rock bottom. You ever said, I wish I could eat what the pigs are eating? Anybody? Just one? Okay. Yeah, only one. Uh, Listen, we would never be there, right? But the younger son is there, and he comes to, when he hits rock bottom, he comes to repentance. He passes out because of the heat and because of the famine, and and he starts to come to, and he says, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go back to my dad. I'm going to repent. I'm going to go back to my dad. And he comes up with this speech in his head. He's like, I know what I'll say. I'll just ask to be his servant so I can work my way back in his good graces. I know what I'll do. We'll pick up the story in verse 20. Ready? So he got up because he just passed out. So, So he got up and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, look at the father's heart. His father saw him and felt compassion for him. It's really, really easy because there's a Pharisee in all of us. There's a Pharisee in me, and I believe there's a Pharisee in all of us. To see lost people doing what lost people do and to see them reap the consequences of their decision. And it's really, really, really easy for all of us to say, ha, serves them right. You made your own bad lie in it. But the father felt compassion and ran to him. How often do I run from lostness because it's ugly and it's messy and it's going to inconvenience me? The father felt compassion and ran. Just imagine this scene. And embraced him and kissed him. And the son starts starts to talk. He says, and the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, quickly bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fattened calf, kill it and let us eat and celebrate. Lots of stuff there, another message for another day. I'll let Jeremy handle all that one day. But verse 24, for this son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and has been found. Listen, I don't ever want to assume that everyone in a church building 
knows where they stand with God. Maybe you're here today because God's been pursuing you. Maybe you're here today and you don't know that you're found. In fact, you, you may be here and you know that you're lost. And that's exactly why you came today. In a few minutes, Jeremy will give you an opportunity to respond and make a decision differently. But at the same time, I do know in this crowd, the crowd that I preach to every week, we need to be reminded of the heart of the Father. Because the local church who has the heart of the Father is the local church on mission. I'll say that again. The local church who has the heart of the Father is the local church on mission. The local church who has forgotten this or who doesn't have the heart of the Father is just a group of people doing religious activity. It's just a group of people consuming religious goods and services. But the local church who has the heart of the Father is the local church on mission. Several years ago, there was a family at Restoration. Several years ago, they went to Disney World. At the time, they had three boys, and I believe they had about a six-year-old little boy. And they go to Disney World, and the six-year-old gets lost. Moms, I just want you to imagine being at Disney World and seeing the seas of people, but not seeing your six-year-old that should be right there beside you. Dads, can you imagine the panic setting in? And so this family begins to call out, Will, 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 and they can't find Will anywhere in Disney World. And so panic sets in, and they run to the Disney World staff, and they say, Hey, listen, we need your help searching for that which is lost, my little boy, Will. Could you imagine if the Disney World staff said, You know what? We have a study on that coming up this week, and as soon as we're done with the study, we're going to engage in looking for your little boy, but right now, we're just going to pray for you. Could you imagine that? Could you imagine if, this, if the family went up to the Disney World staff and said, hey, my little boy's lost, and they would have said, hey, we're studying about that in Greek, but, but, but hey, we'll get back to you on helping you. We'll, we'll write a check for you. Could you imagine? The Disney World staff engaged in searching for the little boy, and they found him in like two minutes. It was a perfect ending to a, to a potentially bad story. But you know, God and his sovereignty has chosen to use you and chosen to use people like me to seek and to save that which is lost. And how often, if we're just being honest, and I'm just being honest, right? I'm just, I'm just being honest. Are we just too busy? Our favorite show comes on Wednesday nights. You know what I mean? You know, what we're saying is we really don't value that what the Father values. Seeking and saving the lost. Do you have the heart of the Father? Do you value what is lost? Let me ask you a question. What would it look like for you to engage on mission this week? Don't, don't raise your hand and answer out loud. That would be weird. But just think to yourself, like, what would it look like for you to engage on mission tomorrow at work, at school, in the neighborhood, at Target, at the Price Wise, at Piggly Wiggly? Like, what would it look for you to engage on mission and show value on that which is lost? You know, I do, I do envision, I imagine one day, a church, my church, Restoration, God's church, I, I imagine you know, saying amen at 11 o'clock on Sundays and our people deploying on mission. And I imagine one day here in Hanahan, Highland Park dismissing and 300 people engaging on mission 
to seek and to save that which is lost. Not go to war with them. You can't reach people you're going to war with, but to reach the lost. Could you imagine the impact we would have? Could you imagine the impact if all eight churches in this area who are proclaiming Jesus deployed missionary-minded believers into the world? Could you imagine? Would we see addictions broken? Would we see homes restored? Would we see men being leaders? Would we see the gospel multiply? I think we would. But we got to get that self-focus off and have the same heart as the Father. What does it look like to do mission together as Highland Park and Restoration? I think what I just described is one way. Praying for each other is another way, as I talked about before. I'm going to throw out a crazy idea. What would it look like one day there's a new elementary school going up in Bowen, right? There's a new elementary school going over there in Tanner. There's, there's a, a Hanahan Elementary will one day not have a church in there. By God's good grace, we will have our own building. It's nice to have our own building, by the way. This is nice. Like, I really, this is great. Uh, I, could, I could do this every week. Uh, but, but could you imagine, what would it look like for restoration in Highland Park to plant a church together? What would it look like for you to send your best and us to send our best and a little money and you send a little money and we plant a church over in Tanner and it doesn't have Restoration's name on it, it doesn't have Highland Park's name on it? Is that a crazy idea? Or is that kingdom mindset to reach the lost? What does it look like to rally around the Charleston area with other like-minded churches, Baptist churches who, who are preaching the name of Jesus and doing work together so that every man, woman, and child has an opportunity to hear and respond to the gospel? Is their eternal lives worth it to you? I pray it is. Jeremy? Thank you for listening to this week's message. If you have any questions or want to know more about having a closer relationship with Jesus Christ, please contact us online at hpbc.church. Please join us again next week as together we seek to know Christ and make Him known.